I'd ask if you could please stand with me at a reverence for the word of our Lord as we look at our passage for this morning. Uh, and I'll read um, all of, of Acts uh, 1, 1 to 11. I'm really just, just preaching on, uh, on three verses this morning, verses 9 to 11. So Acts 1, 1 to 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was, lifting, he was lifted up and a cloud lifted him, took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you, will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of our Lord. May he write its eternal truths upon our hearts for his glory and for the building of his church. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you that you keep your promises. You promised that you would send your Holy Spirit to your disciples shortly after your ascension. And when you did that, you fulfilled that promise 10 days later. But Lord, as they and awaited and we await the fulfillment of your second promise, well, this is a lot longer than 10 days. It's been over 2,000 years we've been awaiting the fulfillment of this promise. But Lord, we know that you are not slack to fulfill your promises. We know that one day, Lord Jesus, you will return and you will fully and finally consummate your kingdom. So we pray, Lord Jesus, as the risen and ascended King of kings and Lord of lords, that you would, through the power of your spirit, work in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to understand the, the magnitude of your ascension, what that means for who you are what that means for who we are as your people. Do this, I pray, by your grace and for your glory. Amen. Please be seated. On Monday, NASA is scheduled to launch a rocket. Well, it's no big deal, right? These things have become commonplace. NASA and SpaceX X rockets have already been launched this year 77 times successfully. So it's, it's, in one sense, no big deal. It's just another rocket. This one's different. This rocket is, is headed to the moon. Well, well, almost to the moon. 
If all goes according to the plan, the Artemis I rocket will launch from the Kennedy Space Center in Florida during the two-hour launch window starting at, at 8.33 uh, Eastern Daylight Time tomorrow. And the primary goals of this 42-day Artemis I mission are to test the performance of the rocket and the Orion crew capsule to ensure that, that the, the crew can, can go on a successful launch to the moon and get back to Earth safely. So this 42-day this day journey is, is over 40, sorry, is over 2 million kilometers long. Especially crucial is the, the capsule's heat shield for re-entry. The, the temperature is going to go over 5,000 degrees as the, the friction, as the, the capsule meets the friction as it re-enters the atmosphere. But if all goes well in, in this and subsequent launches, the goal is that the Artemis program will Will, will mean that the first woman and the next man will be on the moon by 2025 or 2026. Now, it's estimated that in addition to the Florida residents, there's going to be over 100,000 visitors who are going to travel to Florida to the coast to watch the, the maiden voyage of the Artemis rocket. So somewhere in the vicinity of, of 200,000 people are going to stand gazing into the heavens to witness this launch. Now, one way or another... This rocket is going to return. It's either going to explode upon lip, liftoff and, and the smoldering wreckage will return to Earth or there'll be a mechanical failure that will, will lead the rocket into a decaying orbit and then eventually it will plummet back to Earth or the, the heat shield will fail on re-entry and, and the melted remains will plummet back to Earth or hopefully upon the successful completion of its mission it's going to splash down in the Pacific Ocean about 80 kilometers west of San Diego. Now, we all, we all know the, the axiom that, that what goes up must come down. We're discovering that in our passage this morning as well. In Acts 1, 9 to 11, Jesus went up. But he must come down as well. Jesus ascended bodily into heaven. And he's going to return bodily as well, just as he promised. As we discussed last week, we, 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 and with the children, we live in between two promises, right? We, we, we live between the promise of the, the Holy Spirit and the promise of Christ's return. Well, the first promise has been fulfilled. As of Pentecost, 10 days later, all Christians have received the indwelling Holy Spirit. But again, the second promise is yet to be fulfilled. We await Christ's return. And while we wait, Christ has left us with work to do, to bear witness of him, for him, in the church and in the world. The fulfillment of Christ's first promise provides hope and strength and endurance for Christ's disciples, for, for all of Christ's disciples, as we await the fulfillment of the second promise. We have received the same promise as the apostles. That we would receive the same power through the same indwelling spirit as the apostles. That we also would bear witness of Christ for Christ. And so the spirit-empowered witness of Jesus Christ is the dominant theme of Acts. This is, is our mission in between the two promises. 
just as it was for the apostles. We have again received the same promise as the apostles of the Holy Spirit, and we have also received the same promise as the apostles that Christ will return in the same way that he went to heaven. So we're looking this morning at the ascension. But the, the ascension of Jesus Christ is, is, a, is, is a relatively overlooked doctrine. You know, we, we, we tend to focus, and, and rightly so, on the, the life of Christ and the, the death of Christ and the, the resurrection of Christ. But, but the ascension of Christ is also necessary for our salvation. In fact, if there is no ascension of Christ, then there is no salvation in Christ. So, so we, we, we do focus on these things, but we need to focus on the ascension as well. The Lord Jesus is reigning in heaven right now at his Father's right hand. And one day he will return to fulfill the promises of the kingdom of God, of all of the promises of the kingdom of God. So in the meanwhile, Christ's mission to build his church continues. And the power of the Holy Spirit, again, he did it first through the apostles now he's doing it through you and me by his Holy Spirit. So after Jesus promised the apostles that they'd be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days, they, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Well, as we discussed last week, in, in one sense, the question makes sense. Because repeatedly in the scriptures, the, the, the kingdom of God and the, the giving of the Holy Spirit are, are paired together. The scriptures regularly teach of, of both things together, the coming of the kingdom of God and the giving of the Holy Spirit. However, as Calvin commented, as I explained last week, there, there are as many errors in this question as there are words. In, in asking if Jesus was going to presently restore the kingdom to Israel, the apostles radically misunderstood the nature, the scope, the timing, and, and the means of advancing the Christ's kingdom. So essentially, Jesus told them to mind their own business. The, 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 the timing of Christ's kingdom and the fulfillment of Christ's kingdom, the timing of the fulfillment of Christ's kingdom was not their concern. Building Christ's kingdom, however, was to be their concern. You see, the... the the apostles were commissioned by Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit to become witnesses. They were to testify of, of who Jesus is and, and all that he came to do, all that he did, and, and of, of everything, of his, his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension. That they were about to witness for themselves. They didn't understand that the, the kingdom would not be just for Israel. They were, they were too narrow in their scope. They didn't understand th that the kingdom would include people from every tribe and, and every tongue and every nation. So as Jesus gives the apostles the great commission in verse 8, Luke's version of the, the great commission, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And, and that, that verse, Acts 1.8, really forms the, the framework for the books, book of Acts. Again, 10 days later in Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, Jesus fulfills that promise by 
by giving them the indwelling Holy Spirit. And the apostles and the, the rest of the disciples, are, they, were, they were gathered together in, in a house and, and, and a sound like a, a mighty rushing wind filled the house and, and tongues of fire appeared on each one of the 120 who were gathered there and they began to speak in languages that those who were gathered in Jerusalem from, from many different regions understood. These are real languages that, that the people who were gathered understood. And so as, as, as Jesus promised them, their, their ministry would begin in Jerusalem. And immediately after the, the, they're speaking in tongues, the, the apostle Peter, remember Peter? Who denied Christ three times? He's, he's now he's preaching to thousands of people. Demonstrating the change that the, the Holy Spirit had immediately brought in his life to be a witness for Christ. Again, the same Holy Spirit that you and I have. You know, many people think that the public speaking is, is, is probably is up on, their, uh, up on their, their top five things they're afraid of. Like, it's up there with death. And were it not for the Holy Spirit, it'd be up there for me as well. I wouldn't, wouldn't be able to speak in front of five people, let, let alone this group, unless it was, it was empowered by the Holy Spirit to, to, to minister God's word to you. Unless I was confident in the, the work of, of God's Holy Spirit in your hearts as well, it would be fruitless. Because I don't have any ability to do anything to change your heart. Let alone even to change my heart. But I'm confident in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and that's why I am here. And I trust that's why you're here as well. So the ministry begins, the ministry of the apostles begins in Jerusalem. And the focus is there in, in Jerusalem all the way to Acts 7. And then Acts 8 to 12, the, the ministry will expand to, to Judea and to Samaria. And then Acts 13 to 28, it expands to the regions beyond. And Acts finishes with the apostle Paul in, in bondage, in arriving in Rome. But the mission continued beyond the book of Acts. And the mission still continues through us. Again, we've been given the same Holy Spirit and the same power to accomplish the same mission. And the mission will continue until the, until the fulfillment of the second promise, the return of Christ to fulfill his kingdom. I spent some time last week talking about but the fact that, that Jesus' was ascension, was, Jesus ascension was necessary in order for him to send the Holy Spirit. Right? We, we looked at the, the, um, the upper room discourse in, in, in um, John 14, I believe it's verse 25, where, where, where Jesus says to the, to the apostles, it's, it's necessary that I depart so that I can send the Holy Spirit to you. And so it was better for the apostles that Jesus depart so that he could empower, he could empower them with the Holy Spirit. So we focused on that last week, but this morning, uh, again, I want to focus on the second promise, the promise of Christ's return and what takes place in between. So when Jesus finished speaking with the apostles watching, Jesus Christ was, was lifted up in a cloud taken out of their sight. That This was a, a further demonstration of the fact that, that after the resurrection, Jesus wasn't just a spirit. He had a, he had a physical body. He was raised bodily into heaven. Just as he was resurrected bodily, he was raised, he was exalted 
and ascended bodily. Now, now this cloud that, that carried Jesus up, it, it wasn't just a, just a fluffy, cumulus cloud. Where it, it wasn't even a, a cumulonimbus cloud. It wasn't a, even a storm cloud. This, this was a Shekinah cloud. This was the cloud of God's glory. This cloud represented the divine presence of God. Now, if, if, you, if you look at a biblical theology of clouds through the Old Testament, you'll see that, that, that there are, that repeatedly in the, Old, in the Old Testament, the Shekinah cloud appears at, at key points to show that God is present. Right? For example, in, in Exodus 19, the Lord descended on Mount Sinai in a dark cloud as the, as the Lord gives the law to the people. And in Exodus 34, the Lord descended in a cloud to proclaim his name to Moses. In Exodus 40, and, and regularly in Numbers, he, the Lord descended in a cloud to, to fill the tabernacle, to show that his presence was there in the tabernacle. Likewise, when the, when the, uh, the, the first temple was commissioned, the Lord descended in a cloud upon the temple. In Daniel 7.13, one like a, a prophecy of, of the Son of Man, the, one like the Son of Man came to the Ancient of Days. And he appeared in a cloud. Now Luke described such a cloud in his gospel account. And if you remember in Luke 9.34, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus met with, when Jesus took uh, Peter and James and John, up the mountain, and they, they met Moses and Elijah, a cloud came down and overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud, saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. So this, this Shekinah cloud d- demonstrates the, the, the presence of God. But here, as Jesus departed on the cloud, like spectators watching a rocket launch, watching as the rocket gets smaller and smaller until it disappears to the naked eye, the disciples gaze into heaven. And then suddenly, two men stood by them in white robes. These were angels. Like the the two angels at the tomb announced the resurrection of Christ, these two angels, these messengers, announced the ascension of Christ. They also promised his return. But before doing so, they, they asked the apostles a question. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Now again, although standing and watching, in a sense, makes sense, it's not every day you see somebody ascend in a cloud to heaven, let alone the Lord Jesus Christ, their their beloved Savior and Shepherd. But there's a hint of rebuke here. But the angels are essentially saying, what are you doing standing around watching? Jesus told you what to do. You have work to do. Get busy. The heavenly messengers announce what exactly took place, that Jesus Christ has ascended from them into heaven. And they, all, they also announce what's going to take place. They're announcing the promise of Christ's return. 
The same Jesus will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Now notice that the angels here don't say to the apostles that you will see him come in the same way. Only that he will come in the same way. There's, there's no promise of any time frame. Just the fact that he will return. While Jesus had promised that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit in just a few days, it's, it's open-ended as, as to when Jesus is going to return. That, that at this point is a secret that no man or woman can know. But they tell the apostles, again, that, that, that Jesus is going to return the same way he departed. Again, they're giving the promise of the parousia, the promise of the return of Christ. Now, Luke also recorded Jesus' promise of his return in Luke 21, 27, that the people of the earth will, will see the Son of Man coming again in a cloud with power and great glory. This is echoed in, in Revelation 1.7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. So Jesus Christ will return bodily in the, in the same way that he ascended. He is going to return. And he's also, it's, it's not directly here, but you can see in the next verse that, that he's also going to return to the same place from, from whence he departed. You can see from the context in, in Acts 1.12 that Jesus' ascension took place on the, or from the Mount of Olives. And Zechariah 14.4 tells us, on that day, on the day of his return, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mount should move northward and the other half southward. One day, Jesus will return. That is a promise. Now, if you are here as, as a disciple of Jesus Christ 2,000 years later, as one who is eagerly awaiting and, and praying for Christ's return, then that's, that's really good news. That, that this, this life is, is temporary. And that the, the yes, there's, there's many joys in this life, but the, the, the groaning and, and anguish of, of, of sin in our hearts and sin around us in the culture, and as we, we see people waxing worse and worse, that, that there, there's hope for us that Christ will return, that it's not always going to be that way. That we can have hope that he, that he is going to return and that he is, he is going to to Finish what he started. He's going to fulfill his kingdom. So if you're a Christian, the, the promise of Christ's return is good news. But if you're an unbeliever, the return of Jesus Christ is terrifying news. At least it should be terrifying news. Because upon his return, people are going to, to call out for the rocks and hills to, to fall on them and hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. So the return of Christ for the unbeliever, it is terrifying beyond any terror of anything that could ever be experienced. So where are you? Where do you sit in that? Is, are you anticipating Christ's return as a believer? Are you pushing the return of Christ out of your mind because you don't want to think about it? You'd rather just be, have a life that's consumed with self and sin and pretend like it's, it's not going to happen. 
but he's promised it is going to happen. He will return. So then pulling this, this explanation, these expositions, these, these first verses together, God himself carried Jesus in a cloud up to his, up to heaven, to his right hand. And he will carry Jesus back in a cloud one day upon his return. So with the time remaining, let's, let's look at seven key implications of the ascension of Christ as those who are awaiting the return of Christ. So what, what does the ascension of, of Christ mean, again, about who, about who he is, and what does that mean for us, and, and focusing here primarily for us as Christians? Number one, the ascension revealed the successful completion of Christ's earthly ministry. The ascension revealed the successful completion of Christ's early, earthly ministry. God the Father had sent Jesus into the world to save sinners. And he had done everything that the Father had sent him to do. He revealed God in word and deed. We, we see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. As the word of God incarnate, Christ proclaimed the word of God powerfully and perfectly. He performed many, many powerful signs, signs over, over nature, signs over Satan, signs over disease, signs over death. Jesus Christ loved God and his neighbor with perfect love, with all of his heart and all of his soul and all of his mind and all of his strength, perfectly keeping the law of God. Yet, he was punished on the cross as a lawbreaker, bearing not just the wrath of sinful men, but the wrath of the holy and almighty God. Jesus Christ gave up his life he was raised on the third day. And upon his resurrection, he went immediately back to proclaiming the word of God, teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God and training them in the word so that they would continue his mission upon his departure, bearing witness of him and for him in the world. And they would do so all in the power of the Holy Spirit that he would give. So with the ascension in, in, in clear and in no uncertain terms, there was evidence that Jesus was leaving. He had done what he had come to do, and he was leaving. But as Derek Thomas points out, the, the ascension of this sense provides a, a visible demonstration of Jesus' final return to heaven. That way the disciples would not be expecting him to appear again as he had over the past 40 days. Right? Jesus would, would come and go over, the, over that 40-day that period uh, in his glorified body after the, um, after the resurrection. De, uh, Thomas continues that there was something permanent about this manner of departure. He says, if Jesus had vanished secretly, the disciples might have been in doubt about what really happened. So brothers and sisters, we know for certain, for certain, for absolute certain, that Jesus Christ has ascended to heaven from Luke's testimony and that of the angels as well. So we can be confident and we can have hope because we know that Christ has, has fulfilled that mission for us. He has saved us. But if you're here as, a, as an unbeliever, there, there is hope for you in this. If you're still outside of Christ, 
You, you can look to the fulfillment of Christ's mission. And, and he said, it is finished. It was done. If, if you are here outside of Christ, you, you can at this moment. You can, by his grace and the power of the Spirit, you can turn away from your sin and, and you can put your faith in Jesus Christ. And he can become your Lord and Savior, just as he is for the, for the, the body of Christ, the church that is gathered here. And so you too can, can be a full beneficiary for all of Christ's saving work. Two, the ascension revealed Christ's vindication. The ascension revealed Christ's vindication. As, as Fred Zaspel says, the, the resurrection of Christ is the divine announcement of Christ's vindication as well as all those who are in Christ. So if, if the resurrection of Christ is the divine announcement of, of Christ's vindication, so is the ascension. The ascension is also the divine announcement of his vindication. It is a further announcement of the fact that the Father has accepted Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for our sins. God himself carried Christ bodily to heaven to his right hand where Christ rules and reigns at this very moment. We'll talk about that a little bit further in a moment. He carried Christ to heaven in a Shekinah cloud and welcomed him into heaven. Again, Christ's mission was accomplished successfully. Listen, listen to Patrick Schreiner. The ascension and the cross are intimately related. To separate them would distort both. The Messiah's ascent therefore confirms and reveals the truth about Jesus' cross. What looked like humiliation to Jews and foolishness to Greeks, God vindicates. This makes Christ's humiliation his victory and the centralizing force of so much of the New Testament. The ascension lifted the veil on Christ's glorious cross. It was the event of self-declaration. Do you understand what he's saying here? That, that, that the, the crucifixion of Christ was, was, was abject humiliation. He humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. The worst possible form of death. If there was a, a, a lower galley slave was here, someone who was crucified is way down here. The whole process was shameful. And Jesus looked like a wicked criminal. But the resurrection and the ascension revealed that he only, in, in the eyes of the world, only looked like a wicked criminal. But for us who have the eyes of faith, it helps us to see that, that Christ was, was declared to be a wicked criminal. As he bore the Father's wrath for our sins, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we could be the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. So the resurrection paired with the ascension is the vindication of Jesus Christ. The fact that the Father has exalted Jesus Christ to his right hand reveals that he is the one with whom the Father is well pleased. Matthew 17, 5. Three. The ascension revealed Christ's exaltation to the Father's right hand. We'll see this later in, in Acts 5, 30 and 31, which testifies that God not only raised Jesus from the dead, but exalted him to his right hand. 
The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel for the forgiveness of sins. So from his position at the Father's right hand, Jesus reigns in his kingly office. The the ascension led to his session, right, from being seated on the throne, from whence he rules and reigns. Hebrews 1.3 says, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, we saw in our studies of of Luke that that Jesus was mocked by Herod and his soldiers in his kingly office. Nevertheless, Jesus has been enthroned. He reigns and rules over all, even over his enemies. Peter will declare in a sermon on Pentecost in in Acts 2, 34 and 35, quoting Psalm 110. 10.1, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So there's an element in which, which Christ reigns and we await the full and final consummation of his reign as he fully and finally subjects his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that is to be defeated is death. So we as Christians can take hope because we know that, that Christ is, is ruling and reigning over our enemies. He's ruling and reigning over the the world and the flesh and the devil, our arch enemies. We can take confidence in in his victory and and we know that that he has already defeated those enemies. And he's already defeated the final enemy of death. As he was raised from the grave to, to, to show and to demonstrate his victory over death. As he was raised and as he was exalted heavenly as he ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he reigns and rules. This is a, this is a mystery. I, I really have a hard time. I, well, I just have a hard time. I can't wrap my mind around the fact that Jesus somehow is, is corporally in heaven. Somehow in, in heaven, he has a body. And, and he reigns and he rules from heaven. So we, we see then that the ascension from Acts, Ephesians 1, 29-23, the ascension is, we see the, the working of God's great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in things in this age, but also in the one to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And we already looked at the, the messianic prophecy in, in Daniel 7.13, but, but let's look at it again along with, with verse 14. Daniel 7.13 says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And verse 14, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. I think the, uh, the question 31 of the Baptist Catechism, if, if you're not familiar with it, this is a little plug, if you're not familiar with the Baptist Catechism, I, I would really recommend it for you. And, and if you have, have kids of, of any age will benefit from it, uh, you can... 
um, look on on uh, on YouTube. You can get it for free. There's there's uh, there's um, this to song by Jim Oric, and there's there's I think 119 questions and answers, and and even young children. Um, we'll be able to would benefit from from this, but but all of us I think would benefit from this catechism. Question thirty one helps us define this and summarize the the exaltation of, of of Christ. Wherein consisteth Christ's exaltation? Christ's exaltation consists in his rising again from the dead on the third day and ascending up to heaven and sitting at the right hand of God the Father and in coming to judge the world at the last day. Beautiful, beautiful doctrine. Four, the ascension of Christ was a sign of, of his glorification. Jesus' incarnation, when he took on flesh and, and came into the earth, was, was the most humble of beginnings. He, he was born to a poor family in an obscure village. In fact, apart from, from a, be, a brief moment on the Mount of Transfiguration, Christ's glory was veiled during his entire time on earth. So his was a humble arrival, but it is a glorious exit. It is a glorious exit as, as he ascends, as in the, in the Shekinah glory, he ascends back to heaven to the Father's right hand. So a humble arrival, but a, a glorious exit, or, or from the, the heavenly perspective, a glorious entrance. We saw that this morning in, in Psalm 24, verses 7 to 10. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. Selah. Five. The ascension led to Christ's high priestly intercession. Now just explain that, that Christ was, was mocked for his kingly office, but he was also mocked for his priestly office as the high priest. As, as on the cross, the, the soldiers cried out, if you are the king of Jews, of the Jews, save yourself. And likewise, the impenitent thief called out, save yourself and us. Luke 23, 37 and 39, they're saying that you can't even save yourself, let alone anyone else. But it was through the cross that Jesus would save his people. But it's not just through the cross that Jesus saves his people. From his position in heaven, he continues to be our high priest. Hebrews 4.14, we have a, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So as our high priest, Christ saves us also through his continued intercession. Hebrews 7.24 and 25, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 8, 1 and 2. Now the point that we are saying is this, that we have such a high priest when it was seated at the right hand of the throne on the of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. 
So at the Father's right hand, Jesus Christ is our advocate before God the Father. In 1 John 2.1, John writes that if, if I, I write these things to you so that he may not sin, but if anyone does sin, he's an advocate in heaven. Jesus Christ is our advocate before Almighty God. Six, the ascension is the promise of Christ's bodily return. When Jesus comes to fulfill his kingdom, he will return visibly and bodily in the clouds. Just as he left visibly and bodily, he will return visibly and bodily. Revelation 1.7. Again, behold, he is coming in the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Contrary to, to those who teach that, that Jesus returned at A.D. 70. And contrary to those cult members who say that Jesus came back secretly in 1914. The timing of Jesus' return remains a secret that no human being can know. Now, he could return quite soon. Or he could return in, in another thousand years or more. But again, he is going to return. He keeps his promises. Again, this is, this is, this is no secret return. Right? Luke 17, 24. For as the lightning flashes... You know, we saw that, that wonderful lightning storm this, this past week. And we're talking about it at, at prayer at the hospital on Tuesday morning and just, just the, the amazing light show. But, but Jesus expands it even more. He says, for as, as far as the, as, so as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be on his day. Now, now I've seen some pretty violent thunderstorms and I've never seen lightning flash all the way across the sky. But Jesus is saying that, that on that day, the day of his return, there's, there's going to be no secret return of Christ. It'll be very obvious to everybody on the planet that he has come. So this is a reminder. This is a reminder again that we live in between the fulfillment of one promise and the fulfillment of the other. The promise that, that as, as Jesus said in John 14, 3, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So again, this is, this is the promise for, for us as believers that, that we anticipate the, the, the end of, of all things when, when we can be with Christ forever. Think often about, about that day. Now, there's, there's a lot of things about, about eternal life that I'm looking forward to. But most of all, infinitely most of all, is knowing that on that day, I'm going to see my Savior face to face. It would be a day like no other. We, we can experience We've been given many joys, many blessings in this life. I think of the, the, the blessing of, of seeing my, my bride come down the aisle. Or, or of seeing my, my children come into the world. The greatest joys that I, I've, I've received. Next to that moment when I first met my Savior. When I really knew him in repentance and faith. 
And that's just a small, small picture of what, what we await on that day when we see our Lord face to face. He will return just as he promised. Seven, and finally, the ascension of Jesus Christ reveals the passing of the mantle. We talked about this extensively last week. Again, we talked about the necessity of the, the ascension of Christ for, this, for his sending of the Holy Spirit to indwell believers, to give them power to become witnesses. Again, you will, become, you will receive power to become witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, Samaria doesn't even exist anymore. But we're still in this ends of the earth time. The gospel is still going out. We are still bearing witness of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. We think of this, this picture of the passing of the mantle. Again, it's, it's, one is reminded of, of, of Elisha standing by and watching as Elijah was, was carried to heaven in, chariots of fi- in the chariots of fire. And the, the mantle of, of Elijah, the prophetic mantle of Elijah, fell upon Elisha. And so Elisha was to continue the ministry that Elijah had begun. This is prophetic ministry. You can read about that in 2 Kings 2. Commentator Ben Witherington points out that the, the parallels with Elisha receiving the double portion of Elijah's spirit, saying that this account is about the passing on of the power and authority to Jesus' witnesses so that they might continue the kingdom work that he had begun. So Jesus was departing, but his ministry to build his church would continue through the apostles as his witnesses in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the ministry of Christ to build his church still continues through his witnesses in the power of the Holy Spirit. And brothers and sisters, that is you and that is me. Let's not be like the disciples standing around looking up. Let's get busy by God's grace working in the the strength that he has provided and, yes, anticipating, eagerly anticipating his return, but knowing that that until that time, we have work to do. We have work to do. So then the ascension speaks volumes. We live after the fulfillment of the first promise and we await the fulfillment of the second. We have received the promised Holy Spirit and we are waiting the promise of Christ's return. We live and we wait in the age in between. But as those who are awaiting the return of Christ, let's by God's grace and the power of the Spirit be busy in the ministry of Christ, knowing that, that Paul wrote to the, the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 that, that we who are alive, we who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so we will always be with the Lord. That we, he, we will be with him forever. So by God's grace, may we live in light of the ascension and all that it means. Let's pray together.
our great and glorious triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We praise you for the, the gift of salvation. We praise you for the, the plan and through the Father, the execution of salvation through you, Lord Jesus, and the application of all of Christ's work to us by you, Holy Spirit. And we praise you, Lord Jesus, that you are still continuing your mission to save many through the power of your Holy Spirit. Empower us, embolden us by your Holy Spirit, we pray, to be your witnesses for your glory, for the building of your church. Help us, I pray, as we go out from here, may we go as witnesses consciously, intentionally, bearing witness of Christ with all we do and all we say. Help us, Lord, to bring glory to your name. Work in the hearts of those to whom we minister by your same Holy Spirit to bring them to new life. Grant them repentance and faith as you have us. Build your church, I pray, through your church. For the glory of your name, we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.